I have the opportunity uh, this morning to share with you the everlasting gospel. This morning it comes from Psalm 63. It is the words of David the king as we continue this sermon series on the king before the king. And today we deal with the quotable uh, king. Hear these words, cherish them in your heart and, and let their meaning embed themselves so that you might understand them. <clears throat> you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your great power and glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who want to kill me will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and become food for jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by the king will glory in him, while mouths of liars will be silenced. This is the word of God for the people of God this morning. I ask that you join with me in prayer. <clears throat> God, you tell us that when we read your word, you fill it with your Holy Spirit. And so we ask today as we let the courses that are all about your word and the testimony that Mike gave and Psalm 23 that's stands and still rumble around this sanctuary might be filled by your presence. That you might fill the word and vivify it in such a way that we might understand it more fully. Holy Spirit, we ask that you fill, fill your speaker this morning. The Lord knows uh, he needs it. He needs your presence and power to guide this people towards a closer walk with you, to engage their spirit, their friendship of you. Renew him, Lord, as he speaks this morning. And Holy Spirit, fill this temple. <clears throat> this temple made by human hands is only a, bin, a, 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 only a building, only concrete and carpet, a bunch of technology stuff, unless you fill it. And so, Lord God, we ask that you fill this temple this morning that you might make of it something magnificent, that it truly become a temple of you, the Almighty God. And while we listen to the voices of men and women and while we hear words spoken to us, all we feel and sense is your presence. Lord, because we pray that you might fill us, Holy Spirit. We have a lot without you. We have more with you. We have our own lives and our own devices without you. But with you, we have everything we'll ever need. So, God, in these moments, fill us up again, Lord, because you know we need it. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> you have probably gathered by now, I am not Kelsey DeRuz. So let me share you a brief uh, snapshot of Kelsey in my morning. 5.06, my text, a text message rings on my phone. I get up. It says, I think I have what Dax and Brindley have. I shouldn't serve communion today. 
I text back, should you come at all? 15 minutes later, I just vomited. <laughs> I sent back to her, I got this from here. So see, the first line of her sermon, because I heard her sermon Friday, the first line of her sermon was from Forrest Gump. Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. So today you get me, and I had no idea you were getting me. But God be praised. Things will work out. You'll be blessed. Even a bad sermon hits you somewhere, and so I'm just going to work in the Word of God, and it'll hit you in a good place. As I go to that, I want you to remind, be reminded of this. We are now a week from Palm Sunday, which launches the week that we call Holy Week in the church. Our services will be at uh, 8.15 and 10.15 this week and Easter. Um, notably, next, sir, next Sunday at the 10.15 service, we will be having the procession of the children with the palms. So our children will come out of the Sunday school and come across the stage and wave palms to, to remind us. Uh, to uh, commemorate the walk of Jesus from the Mount of Olives down uh, to the temple in Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday. Then following that, Brock mentioned it, we will have our Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Lenten moments, and, and you've seen the, the wonderful speakers, where young people, or, and, and not so young people in our congregation, give their testimony at 7 o'clock in the morning in the chapel in the upper level of Carnegie, which is our downtown office building. Then if you can linger a little while, those services are about 25 minutes. If you can linger a little while, we'll have a breakfast for you. Then, on Thursday morning, we serve communion at the chapel at Carnegie. On Thursday afternoon at 1, we serve communion here in the sanctuary. But if you're a traditionalist and you've been coming to this church for a long time, new wine, new wineskins, we will not be having a Monday, Thursday night service. We have the two prior to that, but we won't be having an evening service and Friday evening. Uh, we will have a good Friday service here in the sanctuary, and I guarantee you it's going to be something new and different, and I'm pretty psyched about all that and can't wait for it to come. Until then, let's go to this. We continue now the sermon called The King Before the King, and today's uh, topic is The Quotable King. Now, there are quotes in our lives, sometimes from media. Most of what I'm going to share with you is from television. That are expressions of our days. And I will tell you that at the first service, because some of those quotes are from black and white, they got a lot of those. But in the second half, they weren't so sure of what they all were. But I'm counting on you to get all ten or eight or whatever I have right. They're expressions we've heard, we embed it in our lives, and in certain circumstances, we pull them out like an arrow from our quiver and we use them. Check it out. See if you know where this is from. Some of you are going to have to think back into black and white days. Who said this? To the moon, Alice! Jackie Gleason and the Honeymooners. How about this one? Lucy, you got some splaining to do. I love Lucy. Front row's getting it. They'd seen some Nick at night. How about this one? This will be a little bit more challenging for some of you. And that's the way it is. Walter Cronkite. That was his sign-off line, CBS Evening News. Everybody's heard this one. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Yeah, Jan Brady. Live from New York, it's... There you go. You guys need to go to bed earlier. How about this one? No soup for you. Seinfeld. That was probably my favorite. How you doing? Friends, Joey Triviani. Or the survey says, family feud. 
Try this one. Roll! Scooby-Doo! How many's nine for nine? Because was that pretty good? All right, thank you. Is that your final answer? Who wants to be a million? How many of you got 10 for 10? Okay, good. Not, not too many of you. That's good. There's a few of you. But those lines, you know, we've kind of embedded in our lives. There's quotes. There's more of them. I could say, you know, my favorite one is from a movie where Clint Eastwood says, a man's got to know his limitations. <laughs> You've got your own, too. I know one of you thinks you're the king of the world. I'm the king of the world, you know. Um, but we have all that from media. We have these quotable quotes in our lives. And we, we think about stuff all the time. And so we take ourselves away from the mass media. And what about our own lives? Because in our own lives, there are these quotable quotes. There are some quotes in our own lives from those that are close to us, from our family, from our friends, the people that are inter- you know, intimate to us that are kind of the expressions of your lives. And I'm going to make you do your own personal work here for a minute. One of you, or all of you, have some line in your life that dad, mom, teacher, somebody, brother, sister, whatever, said all the time. And every time you hear it, it's just hilarious to you. I want you to think of it right now because we're going to say it all together out loud. They're all going to be different. There, there's, you got it? Yeah. Uh, should I do like Kelsey? Kelsey? If you're ready, say ready. ready. If you're not ready yet, say not yet. Okay, just a few of you. <laughs> all right, you've got a hilarious line. I'm going to say on the count of the three, and I'm going to have you say it out loud. It's going to be really awkward if I'm the only one, okay? <laughs> one, two, three. Look around. See, for me, it was my dad used to always say, if you couldn't find something, he'd say, look around. It still makes me laugh when somebody else in our family says that. You guys had one. Did somebody, what'd you say? What'd you say, Jack? Penguin? What's that even mean? Oh, walk like a penguin? Okay. Everybody pray for Jack. All right. Thank you for sharing that. Some of the rest you got other, but that's like stuff that, like, like in Jack's case, my case, that's somebody that's close to us that said something that we've embedded in our heart. It's a quotable quote, and sometimes we can say it, and other people get it. But like Jack, he says it, and all of his friends know what it is. And like when they're fifty, it happens. You'll be fifty one day. You'll get on the ice. You'll think of that guy and be penguin, you know, so you don't fall. I like that. I like that. But the people in our lives also have said some powerful things. Some powerful life-directing things. You, for me, for me, it was um, a, a guy that was really close to me saying, "Look, if you keep going the way you're going, this is not going to work out very well for you. And God has a better plan for you." It helped direct my life, and it even helps direct me in days from time to time. You probably have those too, where someone very close to you, someone that's tightened in into your heart, has, some, has put a quote in your life that you say, I will remember that from now until my last breath. And it's important to you. And I think that's awesome. And, of course, we all have these loving quotes, people that in our own family circle that have given us something <clears throat> that's loving, like, you know, I love you. But it's real intimate. And when that person says it or people around us, whether it's our children, our friends, our spouse, when they say it, we're just filled. Our hearts get warmer and happier. They fill us up when we're down. Sometimes they say, I love you because, and then they fill in the blank. But we have all these quotes that are quotable at least to our heart. 
Now, David the king, the king that precedes Jesus, also has lots of quotes. The whole book of Psalms is filled with David's quotes. And when David is speaking in the book of Psalms, what he's quoting is his own expression of his love for God. And he's expressing who he thinks and what he thinks God is. So I'm going to start with today's quote. And I apologize because of the timeline I gave you. I wasn't going to throw all this on the tech team. So none of these are going to be on the screens. But you have cell phones and pencils if you want to write some of them down. The first one is... Psalm 61, or or 63, our, our, our reading for today begins this way. You, God, are my God. It's personalized. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. See, there's an ache, there's a thirst that David acknowledges in all of us that can only be filled by God. Every single one of us has this thirst for God that can only be slaked by God. Every one of us has that, 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 that dryness on our lips and our throat of our spirit, such as it was, that, that only God being poured into us can, 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 can fill that need. And despite being the king, David had everything. He had the crowns. He had the, the servants. He had all that. Despite being the king, he just wants God. He just wants God to pour himself all over him and into him so that he might be filled out, filled up throughout his life. David knew that the true meaning of life can only be found in God. So that quotable quote, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you, my thirst for you, my whole being longs for you. But then, then there's more. And I, I may not hit your favorite David quote because I only have a limited amount of time here. But in, 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 in Psalm 27, David says this, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold in my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I got to tell you, because you know it's true. Every life has battles in it that shake us top to bottom. They shake our core. It feels like we're in some sort of a blender. They make us unsure of who we are, what we can accomplish. And they make us just, they rattle us. Some of you may name that career decisions. Uh, Others of you might be having relationship issues that are shaking to the core. Some of you might be able to point at cancer or some other malady. But if you're human, and we are, we have things that shake us to the core, to the very depths of our soul. And sometimes it seems unbearable. It seems like we can't pick ourselves up. The troubles are too great. And even the king, David, needs a power that's beyond his limits. And he couldn't find it in his advisors. He couldn't find it in his wealth. He couldn't even find it in his armies. Couldn't find it in all the palaces that he had. But he could find it in God. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom should I be afraid? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I fear? And then, Psalm 51.10. Now, maybe you only hear this every year at Ash Wednesday. But I'd encourage you to embed this one in your heart because this is one of David's most quotable quotes and the one I need the most sometime. Psalm 5110 says this, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Make me new and make me sturdy enough with the new to face what's coming. David reminds us over and over again that God makes us new. I, I don't know, you know, sometimes old stuff 
needs to be transferred into new stuff. You need to create something entirely new. I used to live in a place that when we drove from one place to another, we drove through this town named Olathe, Colorado. You've probably never been there. But if you have been to Olathe, you notice out on the highway as you're driving in on Highway 550, there is a giant pile. And by giant pile, I mean three times the length of this building. A giant pile of all those milk containers that you've recycled. Aren't you glad that they're being good, put to good use? They're actually being recycled. And what they do at that plant is they take all those re- re- milk, milk uh, jugs and they you know, chop them all up into tiny little pieces and then they meld them together into planks. Maybe you have them on your deck. You know, some of you have bought that, that wood that's kind of brownish but not really brown. It's made of milk cartons for the most part. It's something completely new created out of them. And when we say, create in me a pure heart and renew the spirit that is within me, God gives us renewal if we seek it and sometimes create something entirely new of us through him. And a fourth quote. Now, this will be the last one I share with you with David. David says this, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. See, in a couple minutes' time, we're going to take communion. And one of the things that we need to do at communion is whether we're able to nail down here, and I hope everybody can kneel down here, but if you can't, and you go back to your seat, wherever it is that you go, that you truly cast your cares upon the Lord, that you, that you, that you lay out here and you put them down. And when you go back to your seat, you, you don't reach back and try to grab them and take them with you. It says, it, it says that God will sustain you. He'll hold you up and keep you running. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. Now, those are the quotes of the quotable King David. But we've been really clear for, throughout this sermon series is that the quotable King David, the king before the king, is pointing to the king that will come, Jesus Christ. And guess what? Jesus has some pretty quotable quotes to us as well. He quotes him. He he shares some things with us, and I'm just going to share a few with you because these are his words for us. He starts with, or at least we start with, and we've memorized this one, for God so loved the world. This is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Understand this, that Jesus is claiming of of himself that I am not one way among the many ways. I am not one philosophy among all the world philosophies. I'm not one pathway to God among all the other pathways of God. I'm not one religion among all the other religions. There is one son, one way. And if you believe in me, your way will be in line with the one God. This one way is so important to us because there's the only way. I I remember having a, well, I still have him. Uh, He's just a few years older now. He had his first child. He had some infertility problems and whatnot. Um, he had his first child when he was 45. God bless him. He's going to be 63 when he graduates from high school. And he's going to get teased his whole time of why is grandma, grandpa here with you at the games? And he doesn't care because he's so elated to have this child. They worked for 12 years to have this baby, and they're thrilled. And I remember being with him in his home. He's like 52-3 now. And he's looking at this boy. We're looking out the, you know, the sliding glass door that some of you have. We're looking at this kid's got, he's, he's discovered a rock and a stick. And if you're a boy, that's pretty much all you need, right? 
there's a lot of stuff that can happen with that. I don't know if he's going to throw it up and hit it. I don't know if he's going to, you know, tie it together. What, what are we going to do? We don't know. But he's just standing there. He's just standing there. He's not looking at us, even though we're looking at him. He's just standing there contemplating what's next. And he says, my friend says, Mike, you see that right there? And I'm thinking he's going to make some comment about the fact that the kid's probably going to become a David and throw the, you know, the rock towards the window. I said, yeah, I see him. I'm kind of nervous. He says, no, no, no. You see that right there? That is my one and only son. My everything. I have no idea how God can take his one son and give him away to people like us. For God so loved the world, he gives his one and only son that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have eternal life. And Jesus goes on to say, same gospel in John later, I am, I am. Same name God calls himself in Exodus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. David is looking for a way to God. All of his battles, all of his achievements, all of his wealth, all of his songs point to one way. There's only one way to God. And the Lord himself gives us that way. Jesus tells us, I'm the way. Just come to me. Simple as that. Don't make it hard. Know me. Embrace me. Love me. Care for me. Seek to imitate me in your living. Jump on my way. It's the only way. And once Jesus tells us that, that God's given him so that we, it, we that love him might have eternal life, then he makes it really clear, saying, I'm the way. Then he says this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up my cross and follow me. See, following Jesus means you have to sacrifice your way for his way. You have to step aside from what you want to accomplish in your life and say, Lord, what would you want me to accomplish in my life? I, I remember when my youngest daughter was very little, and it was a Saturday morning. Saturday morning, we had donuts every Saturday morning. We had a little bakery in the town we lived in. I'd run down and get their donut order from the night before. We'd sit at breakfast, and I remember my little daughter turning to me, sitting on my lap, grabs my cheeks and says, well, Daddy, what are we going to do today? With the pureness and the innocence of a baby, of a little child. And what Jesus is saying is, at some level, if you want to be of my, if you want to be of my team, you've got to look at me and say, so Jesus, what is it that you want us to do today? What is it you want us to accomplish? And we take up his way and follow him. And that begins, whether it's here at this altar today or not, by confessing our sins. So often we say, well... I'm a sinner and everybody's a sinner. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I've met you. Right? Here's the thing. We are sinners first. Because that's what's inside us. And what comes out of us is sin. That, that's where we make our mistakes. This, this, is, this, this is why Jesus says what comes out of our hearts, that's what, that's what we are. So we understand who we are. So we also understand the need that we need to throw down. And by throw down, I mean, when you come up to this altar, when, when you sit in your seat, or wherever it is at communion, really be honest in your confession. Don't just say, God, forgive me of everything I've done wrong. You know what it is. Of course God knows. But I'm saying throw down and be comprehensive. Do as, if we have to go past 1115, some of us might go to Arby's without you, but we'll stay with you and pray. 
I, I mean that sincerely. Some of us have a lot that we need to just say, God, please forgive me. And we lay it out and we confess it. We truly, truly confess it. And once we confess our sins, not just making a broad sweep at it, because we got things we don't even know where we're sinning. We ask God forgiveness of that sins too. Then once you confess what Jesus is calling us to do in his way of the cross is then repent. Okay? That's not the same thing. Confession says, I admit what I did wrong. And I'm sorry for it. Repentance means, and God, I pledge I align myself with you to not do it anymore, which, by the way, is the harder part, right? Because talk is cheap sometimes. But repentance means we point ourselves in a new way and we endeavor to do it. Will we fail? Oh, yeah, probably likely, which is why God says you can come back. He doesn't bar you from the altar after the first time. But once you, once you change and really want to change in repentance, then you can seek becoming whoever God wants you to be in the world because you take up his cross, you, you step away from your place, let, let, let him fill your place, carry his cross, and you become who he wants you to become in the world. Because what you want to do is, is this, listen to this, I'm preaching like youth camp, I'm sorry, but what you want to do is you want to say, God, here I am, I want to step into the place you want me to be, and here on this earth, I want my life to look like it's going to be in heaven. I want this life, even though I got feet of clay, even though I got all these mistakes, you know, pounding up around. I mean, my mistakes are making a list right now, even while I'm speaking. I, 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 all those things are pounding up on me. I want to live now like you want me to live in eternity. I want to have that kind of peace, that kind of joy, that kind of happiness right now. So that when I get there, I won't be so shocked. And I'll be excited to continue on. So become in this life what you think God wants you to be forever. And so the opportunity in front of us of what the quotable king expresses to us today. See, one of the things that Jesus says is this. We call it the Last Supper. But it's not the Last Supper. It's actually the First Supper for us. He picks up the bread and says, This my body is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He provides us a way through his example. This is my body. He gives us a structure for living every single day in remembrance of him. Well, whatever we do, we do it in memory of Christ. We, we, we step into what he would want us to do, and we live that way. And then after he serves the bread, he says, this is the cup of the new covenant. In my blood, which is poured out for you. What he does, what he advises us to do is to take up his cross and then he stands in for us. You see, Christians believe in what's called the substitutionary atonement. Big words, really simple to understand. Hard to grasp, but simple to understand. Before Jesus, Jewish folks were told to go to the temple and make a blood sacrifice for their sin, you know. Kill a goat or a steer or a lamb or even a smaller animal if you didn't have any money. Burn it all up, and that's your sin offering. Blood for blood. Your life was saved by killing that animal. And then Jesus came, and what is true is simply this. An animal cannot take the place of a human. That's simply not possible. Think of your job. It wouldn't work. An animal cannot take the place 
of a person. So the substitutionary atonement is simply this, is that Jesus steps into your place so that you might have life and live it abundantly. He takes all the power of your sin, of your darkness, of your pain, of your anguish on himself and substitutes himself into your place. That's what's happening when we celebrate communion. We celebrate the fact that Christ stood in for us so that we would have this new chance, this new life to live it out in front of him. That's why when we take that bread, we love it because we take it in memory of Christ and when we put the fibrous taste in our mouth, we understand that he's the structure, he's the sustenance that we need to get by day by day. And when we drink that juice, or in our, in our case, we dip it into the juice, you tweet, taste that sweet wine. This, uh, it, well, if you need to know, it's, it's juice. That sweet juice that we taste is our understanding and our embodiment that there's no thing sweeter than having all of our sins forgiven. And at communion, if we confess our sins and make pledge to repent, we're given the opportunity where God says, I have created in you a new heart. I have created in you a steadfast spirit. Now go live out your repentance and your life. See, that's what communion is all about. And, and you know, um, I just want to lead right into that. So you know, because I've just walked you through it, that on the last night of his life, which is part of the launching of who we become, the Lord took a common loaf of bread, broke it in half, and offered it to his disciples. And with love in his heart and genuineness in his words, he said, take and eat. This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we're reminded that every time we take communion, we're supposed to remember Jesus. And every time, actually, we eat, we're supposed to remember Christ and seek to live in his way. Now, after the supper was over, and everyone had had their fill, The Lord Jesus took the cup, raised it to heaven, offered it to his disciples, and said, This is the cup of the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you eat this, drink this in remembrance of me. And so in remembrance of all of God's mighty acts of salvation, we eat the bread, we drink the wine, knowing that salvation comes from God and God alone. Now, I want to invite all of you to communion because in the United Methodist Church, we believe in that. Doesn't matter where your background is, doesn't matter what kind of church you grew up to us, it might mean deeply and richly to you, but we invite you. If you're here today and Jesus is your Lord and you wanna receive him today, then you come forward. If you wanna throw yourself down in front of God and pray, and let this be your day. We don't want anything to prevent you. It doesn't matter what your creed or background is for us.